Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our podcast series, 10 Themes for Investing for Tomorrow, where each month I have the pleasure of talking to an investment expert from Capital Group to discuss various challenges and opportunities for investing for tomorrow. Now, today we're talking about the financial services industry. It's a pretty large topic. And my guest is Andrew Lee, who is an investment director at Capital Group based in Hong Kong. Hello, Andrew, and thank you for joining us. Hi, Lisa. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me today. It's great to have you joining us from Hong Kong. I love technology for this. We can chat to anybody in the world. Now, you've got a toughie here, so I'm going to start with a super basic question, but not an easy one to answer. Can you give us a broad overview of the financial services industry and how you define that? More than happy to. Um, So the financial services industry, um, in my view, continues to be a very important industry for investors as it encompasses a broad range of businesses that manage money, including banks, insurance, consumer finance, and other diversified financial companies. And I definitely see really exciting long-term investment opportunities globally in this space. Over the past two years, the financial services industry has demonstrated its ability to navigate unprecedented levels of volatility in a rather resilient way. And going forward, there are um, and there will be uncertainties in the path ahead driven by confluence of near-term geopolitical and economic challenges. But but there are definitely ways that companies um, in this sector can pursue to address these challenges and ultimately find opportunities such as adopting strategies to optimize their cost structure or pointing towards smarter execution and developing technology to add value. And if we look at Asia, where I'm based in, the revenue pool, it's big. And more importantly, it's getting even bigger. Um, If you look at emerging Asia, it is experiencing the rise of the middle class, while developed Asia is witnessing increasing wealth accumulation. So both contribute to greater demand for financial products and services. Well, you mentioned uh, disruptions. <laughs> we all know what disruptions we've had recently with COVID. It's coming back again to some of us. And then, of course, we've got some much bigger and perhaps sadder situations on our doorstep here in Europe. So we have the COVID disruptions. We've got the macro environment disruptions that we're in currently today. So what should we be focusing on when investing in this industry? Yeah, sure. And this is a really good question. Um, If we looked back, um, COVID has definitely facilitated uh, a rewiring of the global economy. And we've seen the accelerated development of a few secular trends, such as e-commerce and digital payments. My personal experience was that I definitely have been making purchases way more online than in physical stores even when it comes to groceries, since, during, and after COVID. And I would quite confidently say that it's most probably not just the case for myself, but also for a lot of people out there too. But at the same time, considering the macro environments that we're in today and the market volatility that we've been experiencing that's expected to stay for at least a bit longer, Even within the financial industry, there would be companies that are expected to navigate better, and some would very much likely to navigate worse than the rest of the pack. For instance, um, if we look at the banks, while the banks have done 
relatively well since the positive COVID vaccine announcements and the bottoming of interest rates. Um, potential upward pressure on non-performing loans can weigh on certain companies within the banking sector, while at the same time, the long-term outlook can also be challenging due to the structural headwinds of digital disruption as well as other factors. So ultimately, the point here is that the key to investing is really to focus on the fundamentals of individual companies and to distinguish between the long-term winners and losers within this industry. So stock selection is very important here. So given everything you've just said, where are you seeing opportunities given our current market environment? Well, there is a combination of secular growth and disruptive trends impacting the industry. So looking beyond banks for a moment, there are actually a number of non-bank areas where we see some really interesting market dynamics and companies that are positioned to benefit. And one of that one of those areas is exchanges. And just to say for anyone who doesn't know exactly what an exchange is, they can become very complex, but effectively it's just a marketplace where stocks, bonds, commodities or other things are actually traded. That's exactly correct. Um, and um, the global exchange industry um, has um, actually undergone a major transformation over the past 20 years. Um, really wanted to highlight that, you know, some exchanges went from being public utilities to publicly traded commercial enterprises. Trading shifted from really crowded pits on exchange floors to high-speed online networks. And at the same time, we also saw several rounds of consolidation swap the industry. And then one more thing to highlight is that there has also been a data boom from algo and quant trading. And at the same time, the investing class has grown around the world and exchanges have seen rising trading volume from both retail and institutional investors. So let's just dig in a little bit on exchanges. For exchanges, what are the growth drivers? Sure. Um, you mentioned earlier on, uh, Lisa, trading, right? So um, trading is one of the growth drivers. Trading is actually um, a high margin business with earnings before interest and tax margins averaging around 60% for the industry. Uh, within that, futures are the largest and most attractive asset class, while cash equities are mature with stable pricing. Um, most importantly, for an investor, um, these high margins require really low level of capital and yield healthy amounts of free cash flow. But exchanges are not just only about trading venues. They are also market infrastructure providers, um, also known as MIP, that provide really mission-critical services across the trading lifecycle to buy size, such as asset managers, and sell side such as investment banks. So what we're talking here is that the second growth driver is services. The MIP industry, which includes data vendors, custodians, infrastructure, and financial technology providers, has a revenue pool six to seven times larger than trading. There's been really strong organic growth fueled by the demand for data, automation, and outsourcing and exchanges have been leveraging their dominant position in trading to expand to adjacent MIP industries. So again, just to very quickly recap, the growth drivers are trading and more importantly, services. 
And I'm just going to focus in a little bit on the M&A activities in this space. Where are the opportunities there? Sure. And once again, really good question. Um, exchanges are actually extremely well positioned to do M&A, given their strong balance sheet, high free cash flow conversion rate, and a monopoly position in the trading businesses. And in fact, all of the major exchange companies are the results of multiple mergers. But I think the more important message here is that exchanges actually sit at the confluence of powerful secular trends, which include the growth of financial markets, of um, derivatives, and above all, of data, which means exchanges are evolving from quite cyclical to more stable growth businesses, and in few cases, even counter-cyclical. And M&A that creates synergy can further capitalize on this positive trend. A really good company example to illustrate this point is um, London Stock Exchange Group. In January last year, um, London Stock Exchange completed the acquisition of data provider Refinitiv, which is second only to Bloomberg in terms of market data coverage. And following the acquisition, market execution then was estimated to make up only about one third of the company's revenue, with the other two thirds actually coming from data. And in addition to that, this data revenue stream, it's growing. And more importantly, it's recurring because subscribers pay a regular fee to access data. So with more regular and visible cash flows, London Stock Exchange is becoming a much less cyclical business. So going back to the point, counter-cyclical creates synergy. And again, really a lot of great opportunities there. So that's an enormous example, but just let's put that to one side for a moment and give us some other examples, because I know there's so many to choose from. Sure, definitely. Um, Lisa, you definitely read my mind. Um, well, besides exchanges, we have rating agencies. Some of the big rating agencies have really solid business models and strong competitive modes, which means the ability to maintain competitive vantage which helps support long-term market share and profitability. For instance, many bonds issued today have two credit ratings, and these tend to be given by the two major rating agencies. And I think the audience would already have guessed who they are, S&P Global and Moody's. With a combined market share of just over 80%, they are really enjoying an effective duopoly in the markets. And then another very interesting area um, would be insurance. And we're looking at opportunities presented by life insurance companies, which are benefiting from a secular growth trend or closer to my home in China. And also some of the faster growing Asian economies, we see an increasingly wealthy population just want to buy more financial products, including life insurance. Several multinationals, including Hong Kong based AIA, have great distribution networks in these economies that have shown the ability to manage their liability profile. And AIA is actually a good example as well of a company effectively deploying fintech as well. I know that a lot of people definitely are paying a lot more attention these days on fintech. And on that note, one thing that I would like to highlight is that fintech, it's not limited to just the small startups. Instead, it also applies to a broad set of companies using technology to deliver financial services. 
Well, I mean, we could do hours on fintech, but just quickly, <laughs> sure. could you expand for us, please, on the types of fintech companies we're beginning to see? Sure, happy to. Well, fintech includes startups, but also industry incumbents that use technology effectively. There are also companies outside of the financial services which are using their ecosystems and technologies to enter the industry. And among these are the likes of Tencent, Amazon, as well as Meta. Until recently, fintech companies have focused mainly on digitalizing existing products and services. So what customers can do offline, they can now do online. But the product proposition was essentially the same. Well, however, we have now been seeing the exciting rise of fintech 2.0. So well, what does that mean? It means companies using technology to offer products that did not exist before, such as digital wallet, buy now, pay later services, and um, robo-advisor. And in addition to that, many startups are maturing, becoming public companies. So it is no doubt a very exciting time that we are talking about. We're moving beyond um, just putting digital lipstick on existing companies towards truly innovative financial services companies. I love that phrase, digital lipstick. That's going to stick with me today. So bring it back to investors. What should investors be looking at when thinking about fintech companies or companies with fintech elements? Well, thanks for asking this really important question. Um, I think the investment approach to this should really be focusing on the long-term fundamentals of each companies within the industry. If we take a step back, um, financial services, it's a broad industry with multiple segments across verticals. And then if we look at fintech, it has a mix of really new, but at the same time, traditional revenue models. So really diving into the business fabrics of each company to build an inside-out understanding and then forming a long-term fundamental picture of the companies as well as including those startups is really the key here. And then added to what I've just said would be also to understand you know, how these companies, they are to navigate regulatory landscape and risks as well as paying attention to their valuations. But let's not forget about the traditional financial institutions here. Many incumbents would continue to do well by leading in technology. For instance, again, using example closer to home, Singapore's DBS Bank understands um, the strengths and weaknesses of fintech competitors and is trying to mitigate the disruption they cause. We are also seeing a similar trend playing out in developed markets. But in general, many of the developed market banks have been relatively slow to invest in technology, but some of them have really accelerated this in recent years and is starting to show in their results. So we've spoken about so much today and I knew that was going to be the case because it's a really dense topic. But um, final question, not an easy one. I'm going to ask you to give us a, a short summary, some quick takeaways of everything that you've covered with us today. Definitely more than happy to, Lisa. Um, I think there are three things that I would like to bring across. Um, first is financial services industry is an important and exciting opportunity set for investors, but we need to look at it company by company. Secular trends and digital disruptions 
can bring in really interesting investment opportunities, such as exchanges, rating agencies, and live insurers that we've just covered earlier on. Secondly, fintech has landed, and it presents an exciting investment proposition. And we need to approach it with an open mind because not just the newcomer with a disruptive force, but the traditional financial institutions that have accelerated their fintech development and adoption also worth investors' attention. And finally, I've been saying this a couple of times, going to repeat this again, long-term fundamentals of company really matter. And the key to investing is really down to good company selections. And that's exactly what we have been doing very successfully here in Capital Group over the past multiple decades. Andrew, thank you for all of your expertise and your thoughts, your comments, your insights today. And to all of our listeners, if you want to find out more, you can check out our podcasts on investments on the Paper Jam Delano Capital Group websites. You can listen back to so many previous topics we've covered, such as why bonds now, dividends, comebacks, pricing power, ESG. There's quite a variety there. And of course, we've got all of Series 1 as well. We hope you subscribe to this series. Send us your feedback. And as ever, thank you so much for listening. This communication is of a general nature and not intended to provide investment advice or to be a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Statements attributed to an individual represent the opinion of that individual and may not necessarily reflect the views of Capital Group or its affiliates.